We are on week five of our uh, series, Inspired, and so far, the story so far, we have spent um, a couple of weeks at the start of our series on asking the question, what is the Bible? And we looked at the fact that the Bible is literature, and it is a, se a series of books, 66 books, holy books, holy writings, written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages. So it is literature, it is, it is story, it is a cohesive story from start to finish. Even though all of these authors and all of these um, the times, different times and different genres were used, it, it, they produce a cohesive story, which is the story of the Bible that we've been looking at in these last few weeks. So we, we spent two weeks looking at what the Bible is, that it is story, it's literature, it's revelation, and we looked at the full timeline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We then spent a couple of weeks on why we read the Bible, and, and Paul led us through a meditation on Psalm 1, blessed is the one, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law they meditate day and night. And, and just how that brings uh, a prospering to our lives, um, a fruitfulness in season, a, a not withering of our leaves. And, um, and then David took us through Psalm 19, and uh, this week our memory verses from Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, the benefits of reading the scriptures and engaging with the scriptures. We have said underlining all of our series on inspired is that we want you to be inspired to take the Bible again and to read it for yourself and not to live off uh, being fed by others on a weekly basis alone, but, but as you take the word of God and as you read it and engage with it, you encounter Jesus himself. I want to read you from uh, Luke chapter 24, and this next couple of weeks as we draw our series towards a close, we're going to be looking at how to read the Bible. We've looked at what, we've looked at why, but we're going to be looking at how to read the Bible. I want to read you the story again on the road to Emmaus from Luke uh, chapter 24, and um, starting at verse 13. We have our Bibles around the church on the windowsills, which are for you to use, these pew Bibles. And uh, if you come to church without a Bible and you want to follow the Scriptures, then feel free to take one of these and use it during the service and then just put it back at the end. Luke chapter 24, um, verse 13. That's on page 1061 in these Bibles that are around the church building. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. 
About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We talk a great deal about encountering Jesus. We put on services to encounter God. Uh, books are written, conferences are held, organizations use this term a lot. We sometimes design worship services and events around a space created explicitly to encounter God, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But the Emmaus Road story is, is perhaps the ultimate example of the life-changing encounter to which we aspire. And it's not marked by feelings. It's not marked by phenomena uh, that we tend to associate with certain moments. But it's marked by a lengthy Bible study. So this encounter with the resurrected Lord is signaled not by a dramatic experience, not by an overpowering emotion, but rather merely by an extensive exposition of Scripture. By far, Pete Gregg says in his book, which I want to highlight to you, um, I'm going to lean on this this morning, How to Hear God by Pete Gregg. And uh, we've got, um, this is some of the, similar to some of the material we're using in our small groups We've got our resource table at the back of the church this morning. We're not selling books, but we're highlighting books that you could go on and read. And I highly commend this book to you, How to Hear God by um, Pete Gregg. I'm also going to be leaning on another book called Eat This Book by Eugene Peterson, The Art of Spiritual Reading, which goes into Lectio Divina. And these two books I'm going to quote from fairly extensively this morning. They're both on our resource table and I'd love you to take a look at them and perhaps consider buying them and reading them for yourself. So Pete Gregg says, by far the most important and consistent way in which God speaks is perhaps the least dramatic. Learning to hear him through the Bible may seem far less exciting than dreams and visions and angelic visitations. But just as Jesus took time to unpack the Bible on the road to Emmaus, and just as John Wesley's life was transformed by a Bible commentary and by engaging with the Word of God, so God wants to set your heart on fire with a fresh passion for the Scriptures. We watched, uh, many of us this week, in a, in a small group setting, the story of Helen Behani, a lady from Eritrea who was imprisoned and tortured because she sang songs about Jesus 
and about Christianity. She was put in a container where it was uh, boiling hot by day and freezing cold by night. And she said that during that time, someone, a pastor, smuggled a Bible into those people that were imprisoned for their faith in Eritrea. And they took the Bible and they ripped it up into bits and pieces, into pages and stories, and they handed it out to the different people in the container who read it hungrily. She said that during that time, she read through the bits of the Bible that she had uh, 15 times. Uh, she treasured it. And the pastor that brought the Bible in and shared it with that group was tortured for doing so and was ultimately killed. What came across in this interview that Pete Gregg held with Helen Bahani was how actually how in esteem she held the Word of God, how for her it was an encounter with the living, risen Christ, how she was willing to be tortured for reading it and teaching it and singing it, how that pastor was willing to give his life to present it and to teach it and to share it. And what Pete Gregg said in his interview is, he said, I've got, hundred, I've got loads of Bibles on my shelf. I've got hundreds of Bibles on my iPad that I can access. And yet I don't feel that I hold it in the esteem that you have held it and the price that people around the world have paid to read it. And what Pete Gregg said was, what a priceless gift he has given us. How easily we take it for granted. How often we leave it unopened or trade its treasure for lesser things. Oh, give me that book, cried John Wesley. At any price, give me the book of God. George Gallup said that the Bible is the best-selling and yet the least-read book in America. Why is there such a gulf between what we say we believe about the Bible and how precious it is and what we do in practice? One of the problems seems to be that no one ever teaches us how to read it with both our head and with our hearts. We pretend sometimes that the Bible is easy, obvious and straightforward, but much of it is not. Eugene Peterson says in his book, Eat This Book, he says, reading the Bible, if we do not do it rightly, can get us into a lot of trouble. The Christian community is as concerned with how we read the Bible as that we read it. It is not sufficient to place a Bible in a person's hand with the command, read it. That is quite as foolish as putting a set of car keys in an adolescent's hands, giving him a Honda and saying, drive it, and just as dangerous. And Eugene Peterson says, caveat lector, reader beware. Pete Gregg says that there are two particular skills that every single Christian needs to develop, therefore, in order to hear God in and through Holy Scripture. First, we need to read the Bible with our heads. We need to understand it and understand how to read it in understanding objectively what it says. And second, we must learn to read it with our hearts in order to experience God's voice through its pages. And what I want to look at this morning is how to read the Bible with our heads and how to read the Bible with our hearts. Now, by carefully studying the Bible, 
we come to understand what its writers were originally saying. And by prayerfully exploring it, we learn to discern what the Holy Spirit is saying to us now. Also, in our small groups this week, uh, there was an interview with Dr. Mara Klemich, a consulting psychologist and neuropsychologist who was interviewed. And she talked about the two different parts of our brain. She talked about the part of our brain which deals with logic and understanding. And she talked about the limbic system, the part of our brain that deals with emotions and memories. And she said to access that part of our brain, our emotions, our emotional memories, that, that often we need to use metaphor and story and symbolism. But that we need both, that we need head and we need heart that work together to engage with what we're reading. We don't just read the Bible to understand it in a theological way, but we also read the Bible to be impacted by it and transformed by it and changed by it and to encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And both of those things are important. If we read the Bible poorly and don't understand what it's saying and don't understand its context, we'll get in trouble. And if we don't, if we just, if we don't, if we read it that way, but we don't read it in a, in a way that accesses our emotions and changes our hearts, then we're missing out on the purpose of Scripture. So how to read it with our heads, first of all? How do we read the Bible? What we've been looking at these last few weeks is the fact that the Bible is a library of 66 books. We've been looking at the fact that it is a story, a cohesive whole. That when we get to our Bibles and we get to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, Malachi fits in to a certain part of this story. Uh, he's a prophet that, uh, that prophesies as the as the um, as the temple is being rebuilt as the people are coming out of exile it's it's the last prophet who speaks before that 400 years silence that comes into the new testament but if we're going to read Malachi correctly we've got to understand the context that he writes in we've got to understand where he fits in the story we've also got to understand that the bible has got different types of genres different types of writing whether it's history or narrative or letters, or gospels, or wisdom literature. It's important that we read it with our heads and that we understand what the original authors meant. That's called exegesis. When we, when we exegete the Bible, we're asking questions, how, what? What is happening here? Who's writing this letter? Who is it being written to? Why is it being written? If you remember when we did our study on Revelation. We considered, and I told you the story of going to the opticians and how I couldn't quite see clearly until the lenses came down and I had my glasses, uh, my lenses fitted in front of my eyes and all of a sudden, I could see clearly. I can see clearly now. The rain has gone. But having the right glasses on is important and what we spent considerable amount of time when we were in the book of Revelation considering the fact that it, it is apocalyptic literature, that it's written in symbol and numbers and it's exaggerated, it's cartoon, it's cosmic, it's, and it's not to be taken literally. And, and it's important that when we read Revelation, we read it understanding what's being said. We looked at the fact that John was writing it, the people were under Roman oppression and 
and John was encouraging the Christians in the face of persecution and giving them a sense of hope for the future. And once we started to understand the context, and once we understood the genre, we could understand what was being said and then it could start to speak to our hearts. There is a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's on our resource table and I'd like you to take a look at it. But what this book does, it's a classic book and it's, uh, it's one of the classics of Christian literature, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. What that book does and teaches, it teaches us how to do exegesis and how to do hermeneutics. Don't be scared by the words, but how to see what the Bible says and how to understand what the Bible means and how we do that, whether we're reading Genesis or whether we're reading Revelation or somewhere in between. Context changes everything and we can use tools to help us. If we approach the Bible without reference to the context of what was originally being said, we may fail to grasp the original journey of its authors, the way it holds together, the extraordinary power of its message speaking directly to our hearts today. Eugene Peterson tells a story in his book of how he once went on a youth camp and uh, he was in charge of cooking for all these young people and the youth leader had somehow um, obtained a dehydrated food packs um, that needed to be rehydrated. So he said, I took out these dehydrated pork chops. They were very thin slices of pork in these vacuum packed bags. And the instruction said, place them in a bucket of water for an hour before you cook them. So he said, we took these little slivers of pork, we put them in a bucket of water and miraculously they plumped up as they filled with water. And he said, all of a sudden we had these succulent, juicy um, um, pork chops to feed the, the young people. He said, but the moment we put them back in the pan, all the water evaporated and we ended up with these little slivers of pork again that were not very satisfying. And he says then, there is a sense in which the scriptures are the word of God dehydrated with all the originating context removed. Living voices, city sounds, Camels carrying spices from Seba and gold from Ophir snorting down in the bazaar. Fragrances from lentil stew simmering in the kitchen, all now reduced to marks on thin onion skin paper. Sometimes we take that context and we take the, the scriptures we read today and, and part of what we're doing in, in reading with our head and trying to understand what was going on is and then through to this Lectio Divina, this way of reading the Bible, is, is a strenuous effort that we make to rehydrate the Scriptures so that they're capable of holding their original force and shape in the heat of the day. The other thing that is important sometimes, sometimes in understanding what we're reading is to use a good commentary. Now, do you ever watch football or rugby or some other sport or some other event and there's a commentator commenting on what is going on. Now, I played rugby in school, but I, I never did quite understand the rules. Uh, they're quite complex. But you watch rugby these days, and you've got a good commentator who will tell you what is happening, who will tell you what is going on, or you're listening and you're watching the football, and, and the commentator tells you who's kicking the ball, or what's happening, or what's being decided, and what's happening next. And commentators, good commentators, can help us to understand what is going on. 
there are many good commentaries that we can use to help us to understand sometimes when we're reading a passage in the Bible, we think, I, I don't have a clue here what Isaiah is talking about. I can't begin to understand what's going on in this story, even though I understand where it fits in the story. And so it's important sometimes that we use a good commentary or a, a study Bible that has notes in it that will give us some help, some context. There's this series of commentaries. This one is by Tim Keller, but the Bible for you. So this is Romans for you. And it's, it's a very devotional kind of commentary. It's readable, it's accessible for most people, but it just explains a little bit of background or understanding to the text that we're reading. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this about commentaries. He says, among those of us who read, eat this text, not in preparation for an assignment, but simply for direction and nourishment in following Jesus, which means most of us, Biblical commentaries have far too long been overlooked for common reading for common Christians. So this is something you can use. And uh, we've put resources in the back of our, of our books, our um, inspired books at the back, of certain resources that you can use. Resources for reading, resources for helping you understand the Bible, resources for children, resources for youth. And on our resources table this morning, if you take a look, there are many different resources for children as well and for young people and for adults to access and understand the Bible. I've been a pastor for 25 years. I've studied the Bible. I've studied theology. I still read passages. I think I've got a clue what's going on. And I, I, I use the help of, of exegetes, of people that have studied and understood the Hebrew and the Greek. And, and, the, and there are very accessible commentaries that you and I can use to help us understand with our head what is going on, to read the Bible well, to exegete it well, to understand that original context, to rehydrate it. Exegesis is nothing more than a careful and loving reading of the text in our mother tongue. It's listening to God carefully to what he says. And what we must never be encouraged to do, although all of us are guilty of it over and over, is to force Scripture into fitting our experience. Our experience is too small. It's like trying to put the ocean into a thimble. What hermeneutics do is, hermeneutics is, is asking what the Bible means now. How do I apply this now? If I'm reading about Habakkuk, if I'm reading about the pro prophet Habakkuk who lived a long time ago, prophesied in a very different culture to mine, in a very different, so what's, what's that got to do with me? What's that got to do with me now? And what hermeneutics does, it bridges from then to now. It says that was then, but this is now. I live in the 21st century in Plymouth, and I go to work, and I have kids, or I'm single, or I, I deal with different issues to the people of Habakkuk's time. But one thing that is important as we read the Bible that we've been trying to talk about these last few weeks is, is to have a Christological hermeneutic. And all that means is to read the Bible in light of Jesus. Is that Jesus is found on every page of the Bible, in every book of the Bible. That we put those glasses on. That when I read the Bible, I read it in a sense that it's talking about Jesus. If it's Genesis, it's pointing to Jesus. If it's Revelation, it's about Jesus. 
And, every, and Jesus is found. Every, every book of the Bible points us towards Christ. So in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, Jesus said to the, the teachers of his day, the Bible teachers of his day, he said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. When I went to university, I studied theology as a, as a subsidiary course. It wasn't my main subject, but I studied uh, theology in a university setting, and most of my lecturers were not Christians. They had spent their lives studying the Bible, and yet they had no faith in God. They had no knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. It had not impacted their hearts. They studied it diligently, and yet they did not encounter Jesus through it. And that is the danger, that we become such experts at understanding it, at exegeting it, at seeing what the original authors meant and what this type of genre is saying. But in all of it, like Jesus warned those students of the Bible back in his day, he said, in reading it and diligently studying it, you're still missing the point, which is me, which is Jesus. And, and, and that's how... We have got to have a Christological hermeneutic. Forgive the long theological words, but it just means just reading the Bible in light of Jesus. Reading every book in light of Jesus. Expecting to encounter Jesus in this book. And that's how to read it with our head. No text can be understood out of its entire context. The most entire context is Jesus. Every biblical text must be read in the living presence of Jesus. So Lectio Divina that we've been looking at in our small groups is not a methodological uh, technique for reading the Bible. It's a cultivated, developed habit of living the text in Jesus' name. So in Luke chapter 24, which we started with this morning, Jesus con uh, took those two disciples on the road to Emmaus and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he began to teach them everything concerning himself that was found in the scriptures. You know, in the denouement of a good film or a good book, an Agatha Christie, an Hercule Poirot walks in with his mustache and everything that's been confusing us and, and what happened there, I, I'm useless at whodunits. It's like, what, who? I, I kind of lose interest and can't follow the plot. There's that doing denouement in a film or in a book where it all gets aligned and it all gets lined up and I can see it now. I can, I can understand that earlier scene. And, and Jesus, what he did on that road to Emmaus as he's walking along with his disciples, he's explaining. He said, when Moses said this, he meant me. When, when Genesis speaks of the one that will crush the serpent's head, that's me. And, and, and it all began to align and line up as they started to see the Bible in light of Jesus. A Christological hermeneutic enables us to catch glimpses and hear whispers of our Lord on every page of the Bible. And if you're starting to read the Bible or coming back to read the Bible, start with the Gospels. Start with the center of gravity of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four different angled stories about Jesus, his birth, his life. Start there, read there. And some of us are auditory processes. We listen, we learn well by listening. You can listen to the Bible being read to you. 
download you version on, on download different apps and, and there are beautifully read versions of scripture. You can drive along in your car and you can listen to the Bible being read to you. You can lie at home and listen to somebody reading it if you're on an auditory. If you're visual, if you're a visual processor, write, underline in your Bible, highlight bits of the Bible if it helps you. Write in a journal, uh, draw what you're reading. Be visual in your reading. If you're an active processor, Practically put it into, into practice, which we're all supposed to do anyway. So reading with our head, if we're going to read the Bible well, we need to understand what it's saying. We need to understand the whole story. We need to understand the genre that we're reading. There are books to help us with that, how to read the Bible, these commentaries, but also just reading it plainly and, uh, and, and beginning to understand what's happening here, who's writing, reading with our head, reading in view of Christ, understanding the passage is important. But we all must, must also learn to read with our heart and to listen with our heart. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 32, as the disciples walked along with Jesus, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Didn't that thing happen to us that used to happen when Jesus would stand and teach? Something stirred in our hearts. Our hearts burned within us. Jesus touched us at a level that was so deep and so moving and so life-changing. Pete Gregg tells a story of uh, taking his friend to church one day in, in this book, um, Hearing God. He said he took his friend to church one day. His friend was called Rob. And his friend was a drug addict. And uh, Pete had been praying for his friend for a long time and he'd been praying about taking him to church. So he took him to church. He said, I was just really hopeful that this church service would be meaningful, that it would speak to my drug-addicted, non-Christian friend. And he said, from the get-go, it was awful. He said the venue was chilly, something was wrong, and, the, and it was cold. He said then there was a leader at the front trying to be funny, and he wasn't. Some of you are resonating with this. And then the worship leader, they got, they got the men to sing one part and the women to sing another part. It was embarrassing. And he said my friend Rob, he thought it'd be really funny to take the women's part and sing as high as he could. And then this nervous preacher got up and he said, I was hoping he'd speak on something about encountering Jesus and overcoming addiction and that God would speak to my friend Rob. And he said he started to preach on Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam. And Cain offers an offering to the Lord that's acceptable or, uh, and is not acceptable. And Abel offers an offering that is acceptable. And Cain kills Abel and and then gets banished. He said, I'm not joking, but this was it, to the land of Nod. <laughs> That's in the Bible. And, he, and, and Pete Gregg said, I sat there thinking, why do, why do we go to church and listen to this stuff? And how is this speaking to my friend? And he said, but Rob may not have been listening with his head that morning, but he was listening with his heart. And when I asked him at the end of the service, nervously, well, what did you think of church today? 
His friend said, oh man, it really spoke to me. Dude, it really spoke to me. And, he, and, and Pete was amazed. He said, it, it did? <laughs> he said, yeah, the way that man kept talking about being caned and then being able. He said, I spent my, <laughs> I spent my whole life being caned. And I thought, it's time that I started to live being able. Otherwise, I'm going to live in the land of Nod for the rest of my life. And God had spoken to his heart and changed his life. He ended up becoming a Christian, coming to faith, amazingly so. Sometimes we don't exegete the scriptures very well, but God still speaks to us. Sometimes you stood on the door and, you, and people say, oh, that just spoke to me so much. That, what, that, that you said about that, I didn't say that. <laughs> but God speaks to us. God speaks to our hearts. And uh, Pete Gregg asked the, asked the question, is the Bible a picture for you? Or is it a window that you look through at the world and that displays who you are? How do we practically do this? How do we read the Bible in a way that's not just head knowledge? It's not just being one of those diligent studies of the scriptures, but that in a way that moves our hearts, that burns our hearts, that touches us, that changes us, that transforms us, that allows us to encounter Jesus. How do we move from reading it objectively, hearing its message generally, to receiving God's words personally to our hearts? And what Pete Gregg says in his teaching in our small group material and in this book is the most powerful tool I've discovered, one that revolutionized my own personal relationship with the Bible is the ancient tradition of Lectio Divina, the slow, prayerful reading of Scripture. Lectio Divina, don't be put off by the name. It just means holy or sacred reading. Reading slowly and prayerfully. Listening more with our hearts, with our limbic system than our heads. Seeking conversation with God rather than information about God from the text. And the four stages of Lectio Divina that we've been looking at in our small groups and that are, we've been encouraging you to do through our daily devotionals and our books are, are Lectio, Meditatio, Oratio, and Contemplatio, if I'm pronouncing that right, which I'm probably not. But Lectio means we read the text. Meditatio, to meditate. We meditate on what we're reading. Oratio, oratio, means to pray, to speak out, to pray the text, to pray what we've just read. And contemplatio, or contemplatio, means we live the text. We contemplate how we're going to live this out, apply it in our everyday lives. Four stages of Lectio Divina. We read, we meditate, we pray, we contemplate. And this morning, as I draw this talk towards a conclusion. I'm just going to look at those first two parts of reading and meditating. And then next week, I'm going to look with you at um, praying and contemplating. And it's not always neat stages. It's not always four stages. I do that, then I do that, then I do that. But it's kind of circular and, and cyclical. We consciously, as we come to the Bible... And this morning, we're looking at how we, we slow down enough to draw near to God as he draws near to us. We sit quietly, and perhaps we take a few deep breaths. If you pray in tongues, perhaps you pray in tongues for a few moments, you expect the help of the Holy Spirit as you read the Bible. 
and you expect to meet Jesus and to encounter him there. You read and you reflect. Madame Guillon says, if you read the Bible quickly, it will benefit you little. You will be like a bee that merely skims the surface of a flower. Plunge deeply within to remove its deepest nectar. And so we're being encouraged with this type of reading to limit ourselves to just reading a short passage, perhaps no more than 20 verses or so. Many of us have tried to read through the Bible in a year and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good exercise to understand the whole breadth of Scripture. But this kind of reading, it reads slowly and it reads a little bit at a time. Limit yourself to a short passage, 20 verses or less. If we're on a series at church, if we're teaching through a book, take the time to read that passage several times in a week. Sometimes you can stay in a passage or a chapter of the Bible for several weeks. The aim here is quality rather than quality, uh, quality rather than quantity. Learning to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Or as it says in one translation, letting the word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind, permeating every aspect of your being. The aim of this first reading, if we read the passage through slowly, is to gain an understanding and an overview of the passage before returning a second time to read it and to go deeper. To do this, you may want to use some of the tools that we've been talking about to help you understand it. It's like reading through this first time. It's like setting the table in preparation for a meal to come. Laying the table nicely. You're ready to eat. You're ready to consume. And having a nicely laid table is just a beautiful part of a meal. And as you read the Bible slowly and carefully, you're laying the table for God to serve you with some sumptuous food. Pete Gregg says, I'm ashamed to admit how often I have dipped into Scripture casually, unwilling to search, unwilling to linger, to hunt for the pearl of great price hidden within its text. He gives the example of his wife who's washing up one day and her wedding ring fell off her finger into the bowl of washing up, into the pans and the pots. And he said, it's as if she would take that. He said, what would she do to find that ring? She would carefully search for it. She would carefully uh, work her way through the pots and the pans until she found the ring. What she wouldn't do is just, ah, it's just a ring. Pour it away down the sink. He said, when we come to Scripture, we're looking for that pearl of great price, that treasure within in the second reading, as we read the passage again, we begin to meditate. Now, biblical meditation is not about emptying our minds, but it's about filling our minds with God's word, which is why we thought about Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who meditates on this word. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth, Horatio, and the meditation of my heart, meditatio, be pleasing in your sight. God's command to Joshua as they entered into the promised land, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you may be prosperous in all you do. There's a Hebrew word that is used for the word meditate, which is hagar. It means to moan or to growl or to muse or to ponder or to utter. 
In his book, Eugene Peterson speaks of watching his dog one day with a bone. His dog would go off and get a bone and he would chew it and he'd worry it and he'd bury it and then he'd dig it up and then he'd spend ages, hours just chewing on this bone. And then one day Eugene Peterson was reading Isaiah chapter 31 verse 4 and he came across this passage of scripture and it said as a, as a lion or a young lion growls over its prey. And he said as I looked up the word growl, it was the word hagar, which is the word uh, to meditate. And, and this picture of a, of, a, of a lion growling over its prey said it's like a dog making those low noises as it as it bites on the bone and, and worries the bone. It's, it's, it's that kind of sense of musing, growling, moaning, meditating. The world, there's a world of difference between wolfing down your food and eating it slowly or chewing and tasting and enjoying it all. I was raised with two siblings, five of us. Um, we weren't the best well-off family and um, food was always important in our household and if you wanted a lot of it you had to eat it fast because there was a lot of competition my brother was a greedy so and so you would wolf it down but there's something about enjoying a meal slowly there's only one way of reading that is congruent with our holy scriptures writing that trusts in the power of the words to penetrate our lives create truth and beauty and goodness Writing that requires a reader who, in the words of Rainer Maria Rilke, does not always remain bent over the pages. He often leans back and closes his eyes over a line he has been reading again, and its meaning spreads through his blood. This is the kind of reading that is Lectio Divina, often translated spiritual reading. It's the type that enters our souls, that enters our Souls as food enters our stomachs that spreads through our blood and becomes holiness and love and wisdom. Don't swallow it in a big lump, Bernard of Clairvaux said, of the Bible in the 12th century. Chew over every word, savor its flavor and sample its depths. Reading, says Eugene Peterson, is an immense gift, but only if these words are assimilated, taken into the soul, eaten, chewed, gnawed, received in unhurried delight, words that God's Spirit has used and uses to breathe life into our souls. The three keys to meditation that Pete Gred looked at this week was embracing interruption. So as you're reading the Bible, perhaps God will place a thought in your mind. Perhaps he'll bring someone to your attention to pray for. Perhaps something will leap off the page, but we're willing to be interrupted by God. He talked about exercising intuition. As I read this passage of scripture, what words are standing out to me? What am I noticing? What am I feeling? And start to use your intuition to expect God to speak to you and engage your imagination. Place yourself in the story. Use your different senses. Like Eugene Peterson said about rehydrating those pork chops from the original context of scripture. As I read this passage of Peter floundering in the water, trying to walk on the water, trying to encounter Jesus, what is he feeling? As I close my eyes, what is he, what is he sensing? What is, this, what, I, what is he smelling? What is he seeing? What is he touching? 
We place ourselves in the scripture. We use the power of God-given imagination. And uh, I like, uh, Eugene Peterson says, I like Warren Wiersbe's distinction between fancy and imagination. Fancy wrote, Mary had a little lamb. But inspired imagination wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. Fancy creates a new world for you. Imagination gives you insight into an old world. Eugene talks of a man in his congregation who was not particularly well-educated. He was a truck driver. He got saved, and all of a sudden, he got hold of a Bible, and he read it three times in one year. But his wife, she couldn't quite get hold of this Bible. She couldn't quite understand it. She couldn't quite get into it. She couldn't see what had happened to her husband happening to her. And, and Eugene was trying to explain to her the parables, and the husband, Anthony, the truck driver, pipes up, Mary, you've got to live them. You can't figure them out from the outside. You've got to get them inside you. You've got to let them get inside you. When we think about how to read the Bible this morning, we want to read the Bible with our heads and we want to read the Bible with our hearts. We want to be like those early disciples who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus and had the best Bible study ever heard. We want to be people that can correctly handle the word of truth, understand its context and its story, understand what we're reading. And sometimes we need a little help with that, and there's help available. There's help sometimes in our small groups or through the teaching on Sundays, but also for ourselves as we're reading if we don't understand. Sometimes we acknowledge that the Bible can be hard to understand and to grasp. We read it in a way as we read it with our head with a Christological viewpoint that Christ is on every page and that we are here to meet him. But we also read the Bible in a way, not like those early scholars that Jesus chided. You study the Bible diligently and yet you're missing the point, which is me. We read the Bible in a way that will change our hearts, that will read with our hearts, like Rob, the man that went to church and found Jesus. When we come here, we take something that's of invaluable worth. We expect to meet Jesus in these pages. And what we're trying to do as we consider Lectio Divina, as we consider reading the Bible slowly and carefully, and as we consider meditating on it and chewing on it like a, a precious meal, as we take our time with it and, and we ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to life for us, as we listen to our intuition and our imagination, and as we wait for the interruption of the Holy Spirit, we expect to encounter Jesus in these pages and to be transformed by them, for our hearts to burn within us as we encounter Jesus. We want to look these two weeks at how to read the Bible, how to read the Bible with our head, how to read the Bible with our heart, in a way that will change us and transform us. And I hope that you, during this series, through the daily devotionals, through the meditation of Scripture, through the fun bits as well in our services, through the Sunday night teaching on the story of the Bible, that we're beginning to grasp a sense of inspiration for what God can say to us through his holy word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth. The word of the Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
Father, I pray that as we engage with your word, your word is truth. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. I pray that we would be people that know how to read it with our heads and how to read it with our hearts. That as we meditate on it day and night, God, we will be those kind of people that live fruitful lives and that are prospering and even in difficult and drought-filled times that our leaf will not wither. Father, I pray that as we work together as a church, young and old, over these several weeks, that your word would change us and transform us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.